Thank you for joining us here at Life Church. It's an honor to share God's word with you today. Our prayer is that you will connect with Jesus Christ as you hear his word online. We'd love to have you visit one of our upcoming gatherings. For more information, visit us online at www.liferva.org or contact our church offices and we'll be happy to help you in any way that we can. Let's go now to one of our recent services where you can experience a life-giving message from God's Word.
Jesus in this house today. He's worthy. Oh, we bless you, Lord. We bless you. There's none like you, oh God. We're so thankful to be in your presence, Jesus. We're so thankful, Lord. A uh, couple of things real quick before you're seated. Um, I want to encourage you to come out on Friday night. It's our first Friday of the new year. Uh, if you don't know what First Friday is, every first Friday of every month, we have a time of uh, worship, a little bit of the Word of God, and then we spend some time in devoted prayer uh, for the will of God for our city, for our, our community, for our church, for ourselves individually. We have a time of personal prayer and then focused prayer. And I want to encourage you to come out and be a part of it. I think we ought to start the year off right. Before we have a church service, before we do anything else, we ought to start it off in prayer on First Friday. And so I'm asking you, make prior, make this a priority this year to be in our First Friday prayer time. You're going to be blessed if you do, and I believe God will get glory out of it. Can you say amen? Uh, I want to thank Pastor Thompson for the opportunity today, uh, and I want to thank all of you for coming out and celebrating Jesus uh, and being a part of this service today. If you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 17. Uh, 1 Samuel chapter 17. Thank you, praise team, for leading us into the presence of God today. 1 Samuel chapter 17. It says, So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone without a sword in his hand as he struck down the Philistine and killed him. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. All my band left. There's power in the mighty name of Jesus. Every war he wages, he will win. I'm not backing down from any giant because I know how this story ends. That's what I want to preach today. I know how the story ends. There are some times when you're talking with somebody, you really just need to know how the story ends, don't you? My wife and daughter get frustrated with me sometimes because Davina and Abby both, they tell the expanded versions of stories. My son and I, were highlight people, you know what I mean? We like the first few minutes of the sports report, gives you all the highlights. That's all we really need. But they like the expanded version. They use the amplified version of stories. Uh, for your movie fans, sometimes they give me the director's cut with all the deleted scenes. I know I'm in trouble when I ask, how's your day been? And they start with breakfast. It's going to be a long story. You might as well settle in. And sometimes I make the mistake of actually asking what this person has to do with the outcome of this story. That is bad news and a mistake you should not make, fellas. But sometimes I just want to know how the story ends. Sometimes I want to know if it ends, but I certainly want to know how it concludes, how it resolves. How much is this going to cost me? Do you still have a job? Are, there, are your friends still alive? I don't need every jot and tittle. I don't need to take every step on the path. I just need to know how it ends. It's different if I know how it ends. I can follow you through every twist and turn if you get to the last page and you don't tell me you blew out a tire or we got more problems. I don't want to hear that. I want to know how the story ends. Can you say amen? This thing's sizzling. I don't know why. My family is great storytellers, both my wife and my daughter, both great storytellers. But sometimes that's not best for the way to communicate with me. I just need the highlights, and I don't need 
the suspense and the drama and the embellishment and the voices. I just need to know how it ends. They're going to swap me out. Thank you. It's kind of like when you watch a superhero movie. You ever, anybody like superhero movies? Am I the only one? Okay, good. I'm not alone today. And those of you that didn't raise your hand, I'm going to assume your wife is telling you, don't you raise your hand, you're in church. You know that the main character is going to survive. He's going to save the day. It's just a matter of time before the tables turn and your hero rises to the occasion. He rises to the challenge. He crushes the enemy. He vanquishes the supervillain. It's just a matter of time, right? But if you were a fan of the Avengers movies, they had, plan- they had this plot twist, if you will, this two-part deal where a year apart they were going to release these two movies. But if you didn't know that, when it gets to the end of the first one, Infinity War, and literally half the population of the universe has turned to dust, including many of your beloved heroes like Spider-Man, people are leaving the theaters in stunned silence, some of them in tears. Because they thought it was going to end in triumph, or at least with hope, but instead it felt like complete and total defeat. But it's not the end. It's just a setup for a great comeback, for a great conclusion. And of course, we see the great victory played out a year later when Endgame came out. But how many of you know that there are lives in this room that do not live out like movies? They don't have prescribed scripts where we know how it's going to end. We don't always know if the hero is going to defeat the villain. When we are in the middle of the story, sometimes we just need to know, am I going to make it through and how is this going to end? There are choices to be made, decisions that we must make, and the outcome is ultimately determined by the choices in the moment. How many of you have ever looked back on your life and viewed some of the choices that you made, some of the things you've been through and thought, wow. That could have turned out a whole lot different. I remember getting off the interstate one day out in Innsbruck, and I hit a patch of ice, and my car began to spin. And I'm coming under an overpass, and my car is spinning, and there are cars all around me. And when my car finally stops, I'm facing in the opposite direction. I'm looking back at short pump on the wrong side of the road. And somehow I had not touched anything. And I remember thinking, thank you, Jesus, first And then I remember thinking, that could have turned out a whole lot different. Sometimes you look back on life, good or bad, we see things that have occurred and we think, if this had happened or that had happened, things could have turned out a whole lot different. How many of you know there are things in your life that could have ended a whole lot different? The drunk driver who swerved right into your lane, but the angel of the Lord created a buffer between you and him, and somehow he never touches you. It could have ended a whole lot different. If you had gotten stopped by the police at the wrong time back when you weren't living right, it could have ended a whole lot different. Some of us, it's not that we didn't do anything wrong. It's by the grace of God we didn't get caught. It could have ended a whole lot different. If we'd been at the wrong place at the wrong time, it could have ended a whole lot different. Now, there's some people in here that are polishing their halos, but for the rest of us heathens who know the truth, it could have ended a whole lot different. As the old timers sing, if it had not been for the Lord on my side, if it had not been for Jesus, tell me, where would I be? It could have ended a whole lot different. And I know today that when I read my verse from the story of David and Goliath, there's probably somebody out here or listening online later who's thinking, really? 
last Sunday of the year. Pastor Rodney, you don't preach very often, and the best you come up with is David and Goliath. Of all the stories in the Bible, you picked that one. And with their best Eeyore voice, I can just hear them, oh, boy. Really, I already know how this one goes. David kills Goliath. Goliath goes down every time you read it. I already know about the slingshot and the five smooth stones, and he only needed one. And I'm pretty sure one time Pastor Rodney preached about this, and he made Carl Johnson lay down on the floor. And Jordan was just a little boy, and he had him stand on top of the big giant. I already know how this story ends. But since you already know how it ends today, let me suggest something to you. David had never read 1 Samuel 17, 50. He didn't know how it would end. It's a whole lot different when you don't know how the story ends. So we can shout, but David was shaking. Shaking in his sandals, holding a sling, trembling, wondering how this will end. Wondering how the story ends. I'm preaching to somebody today. You're facing a giant. You are going into a new year. And the giants are waiting for you, and those giants are bigger than you or your resources, and defeat seems certain, and you have not read 1 Samuel 17, 50 in your life yet. Lisa was talking about confidence right now. You don't feel very confident. You don't know what tomorrow's going to bring. I want you to know today you can walk out of here knowing how the story ends. And since we know how David's story ends, I'd like to take a few moments and take a look at how it could have ended. Can we do that today? Because it could have ended a whole lot different. Had I stayed at VCU and married some other girl and not gone off to Kent Christian College in Dover, Delaware, it could have ended a whole lot worse for Davina. She would have missed out on the whole buffet. She could have missed out on all of this. But seriously, think about it for a minute. Every decision we make has an effect on the outcome of how the story is going to end. And if David made different decisions, the story could have ended a whole lot differently. And God is writing your story right now for you and your family right now for the season of your life right now and decisions that you are making right now, Goliath that you are facing right now. Sometimes in the right now, it's hard to see the conclusion because we're blinded by the giant that we are facing right now. And although we know that Goliath goes down, David had to do it in the face of uncertainty. And how many of you know that David had to face down some other obstacles before he ever got to face his, his giant? How many of you know there were other obstacles to him facing his opposition in, in, in the giant? There's a lot, and we're going to talk about those today. If any of those battles had gone differently, things would have ended a whole lot different. If David had been the typical teenager, I mean, he's only around 17 when he kills Goliath. If he had been the typical teenager when, and he had responded to his father in the typical teenager fashion, when Jesse said, I want you to run these snacks to your brothers on the battlefield, if David had rolled his eyes and been like, come on, Dad, seriously, I'm like the future king, Dad. Samuel's already anointed me, Dad. My future is set, Dad. If David refuses to be obedient to his parent because he's too focused on the future, the story ends a whole lot different. How many of you have ever heard the story of David and Goliath? 
Come on, get them up, get them up, get them up. Of course you have. I mean, it's become part of the lingo of our world to the point that sports announcers use it anytime there's an opportunity to trounce an underdog beating uh, an overconfident, uh, overpowered uh, matchup. Uh, they, they, they talk about it all the time. Nobody listens to a sports broadcast during the NCAA tournament when a 16 seed like UMBC knocks off a number one seed like UVA and the announcers describe UMBC as David taking out the Goliath of UVA and goes, who's David and Goliath? Nobody does that. You know about this story and you know how you know? Because it's an archetypal story that's used over and over and over again. It's so fun to tell. It's fun to preach. I don't know of any preacher who probably hadn't preached this thing 25 times. I've used my kid as David when he was little. Now he's big enough. I could use him as Goliath, and I could get a little kid up here and use him. But if David had refused to be obedient to his father, it could have been a whole lot different. Think about it. If Jesse comes to David and says, I've got fresh bread and cheese and I need you to go down to your brothers in the Valley of Eli and take them some lunch. But if David instead wakes up slowly, rolls his eyes slowly, checks his phone, spends some time on the gram, on his spam account, the secret one that his parents don't know about. Oh, some of the kids are like, they know about that. Snapchats his friends about how the rents are getting on his nerves my dad makes me sick. This is ridiculous. I hate my parents. I hate my life. And then finally, David goes to the battlefield, but he arrives 45 minutes later than he should have. He misses Goliath shouting out, send me a man. He didn't know that Goliath was on the battlefield when he was on his way there. You don't know what conversation God is going to orchestrate for you to hear and be a part of. You don't know when God might be wanting to use you. And if you don't do what you're supposed to do, if you choose to do it at a leisurely pace instead of the pace God dictates, you miss out on opportunity. You don't know when the bush is going to burst into flame and God's going to speak to you from it. And suddenly the next steps in your life are opened up before you. You don't know this. But if you don't show up in obedience and do the ordinary... And that's the first obstacle David had to face, the ordinary. He had to face the ordinary, the ordinary things that God asked of you to do with a good attitude. It could have ended a whole lot different. Do you think they would have taught this story in Sunday school or in vacation Bible school or any sermon ever if the story had gone like this? Jesse woke up David, sent some food by David to his brothers. David showed up with a bad attitude, gave the food to his brothers rudely, and went back home. Do we know anything about this story if that happens? No, and yet it could have ended exactly that way. That could have been the end of the story. It could have ended with David feeling slighted because he was asked to do something ordinary, something that seemed insignificant. I mean, Dad, do you know who I am? You're asking me to be a delivery boy to take this food down to my brothers. Are you serious right now? Come on, Dad. I mean, who do you think I am? DoorDash, Uber Eats? I'm the anointed king. You want me to be a delivery boy? All right, I'll do it, but I ain't going to like it. And I'm going to do it on my own time. Okay, I'll go to church, but I'm not lifting my hands. That's what the weird people do. I'll go, but I'm not going to be happy about it. I'll go, but we need to leave early because I want to get home and plenty of time to see my football game. It could be a whole lot different. I'm King David. I'm the uncrowned king. Samuel put his oil on my head. I'm the anointed king. Could have been a whole lot different if David trips over the first obstacle of ordinary. And for us today, here's what I know. 
opportunity usually presents itself in the midst of the ordinary. If you're waiting for trumpets to announce his birth, you're going to miss the Savior being born in a stable. If you're waiting for somebody to come down from heaven to proclaim you to the second coming of the Apostle Paul, then you are going to be sorely disappointed. God's best stuff is usually presented to us in the midst of the ordinary. We got people waiting to get in the pulpit, but they don't want to pick up a piece of trash. They want hundreds of people to sign up for their life group, but they don't want to show up for a work day. They want to be paraded as the leader of a ministry, but they don't want to serve on a team. They want to be blessed, but they don't want to give. They, they lose out on the miraculous because they can't be bothered by the mundane. Sometimes your Goliath gets defeated because you're willing to take sandwiches to somebody who's hungry. Ordinary. This story turns out a whole lot different if David is unwilling to do the ordinary. If he falters at this obstacle, the story is a whole lot different. Today, I want to tell some parent, you aren't going to have one conversation with your kid that will forever change their lives. You are going to have to day by day, week after week, month after month, year after year, put in the time, make the same breakfast, wake them up, check their homework, take them to practice, teach them the things that matter, bring them to church, bring them to church, bring them to church, bring them to youth, bring them to First Friday, bring them to church. Tell them you love them. Over and over and over. The ordinary is what makes the difference. Yeah, buy them a big old $1,000 Christmas gift one time a year and act like you've done something great. No, 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 no. Put in the day-to-day. Be there. Be a part of their life. Do the ordinary. David didn't even know there was a giant in the Valley of Elah. He was just obedient and doing the ordinary, and the opportunity presented itself. But if he refuses to do the ordinary, it could have been a whole lot different. What a boring story this would have been. David wakes up. He gets asked to do something little. He does it with a bad attitude. He came back home. He slept for eight hours like most teenagers do. It's a whole lot different. So David gets there. He does the ordinary. He leaves the food with the keeper of the supplies. He's very responsible. He runs to the battle lines. So he's there with the right attitude to see the opportunity. And by doing the ordinary, he was ready to see the extraordinary in his life. Now, once he overcame the obstacle of ordinary, before he can even get to the opposition, he runs into a brother whose name is Eliab who has a bad attitude because David is even there. And Eliab responds like, what, it's not enough that you've been the anointed king over us. Now you're going to show up in the battlefield and we got to look after you. And David's brother is giving him such a hard time that now David has to overcome a second obstacle. He has to overcome the obstacle of offense. That's obstacle number two, offense. Before he gets to his opponent, he's got to overcome being offended. Now watch this. Some of us are fighting the wrong battle. We are fighting a preliminary battle and we're missing the real one. Because David comes to the battlefield and he's, he's that guy. You know people like this. They show up, hey guys, how's it going guys? What are you doing guys? What's going on out here guys? That's David. He's so pumped up. He's so excited. He's like the little, if you ever, if you come from my generation and you watched the, the, uh, the Bugs Bunny show, there was always this episode of Spike the Bulldog and the little chihuahua that was always running around him like, hey, Spike, how you doing, Spike? How you doing, Spike? Right? That's David. Hey, guys, what's going on, guys? What's that guy talking about, guys? Why aren't they all getting out there and fighting that guy, guys? Right? And Eliab gets mad because David's running around and They've been out there day after day. It's nothing new to them. 
They, that's the dude who's nine foot tall. He keeps coming out every day asking for somebody to fight them. But we can't do anything about it because, I mean, look at him. He's nine foot tall. Now, some of y'all are big, but I'm only five foot six on a good day. That's got, that means i got to have the right shoes on. The doctor can't ask me to take them off before he measures me. Nine foot seems really tall. And David's like, look how big he is. One country preacher said this. They were asking, oh, man, we can't fight him. Look how big he is. And David's going, look how big he is. He's too big to kill is what they thought. And David said, uh-uh, he's too big to miss. I wonder what's your perspective today. The challenge before you is an indication of the power that is within you. If God trusts you to stare down a giant, it's because he put a giant power of God down within you. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. The size of the giant shows up in how much of power of God is in you. So David's like, what do I get if I kill him? And Saul said, it's been four. I mean, think about it. Saul's heard this dude for 40 days, and Saul's kind of like the airlines when they are overbooked. He just keeps upping the ante. I got two tickets, $250 vouchers. I'll give them away right now. If somebody agree to be bumped off the flight, nobody comes. $500, I'll give $500 to the next two people to come up here and let me bump you off this flight. I'll give $1,000 to the next two people that show up and let me bump you off this flight. Saul starts off, he's willing to do whatever. Before you know it, the, the, the ante has gotten up to where Saul is willing to give away his daughter as the bride of the person who takes out Goliath, not the ugly daughter, the good-looking daughter. And they don't have to pay taxes ever again. I've got guys lining up right now ready to go and fight, especially the single ones. They're like, yeah, good-looking daughter, don't pay taxes. Woo-hoo. David looks around like, for real now? I get that. Somebody verify that. See, it could have been a whole lot different. David had been out, if David had been out there for 40 days and he'd gotten used to the ordinary of hearing the soldiers talk about how they couldn't beat this enemy because he was too big and the dysfunction of the Israeli army are, are all worried about, oh, we can't do this, it's too much. He hadn't got used to standing there defeated without even fighting. And to them, Goliath sounds normal, but to David it sounds different. He says, wait a minute, he's not supposed to talk like that. He's not supposed to curse our God like that. Do you know that you can get so comfortable in your dysfunction that it feels normal when you've been in it long enough? You've been satisfied long enough that this is all it's ever going to be. This is as good as it's ever going to get. You can get satisfied in your dysfunction and make it feel normal. Some people live so much and so long at a lower level than what God intended that they've allowed their dysfunction to become normal. They've allowed the routine of this world and its system to influence them so much that they won't even apply themselves to getting out of the situation that they're in. They're not even appalled at the sin that is pressing in on their life. They get riled up ready to fight if a politician threatens to pass a law that they think will infringe on their rights. But they will sit and listen to filthy jokes and filthy lyrics as the enemy pushes in on the spiritual rights of their soul. David is like, so he said, what about God? And I get, what if I kill him? And this is what happens. Every time we get close to doing the will of God in our lives, the enemy will present us with a secondary enemy to distract us from the real battle that God wants us to win. In David's case, it's his big brother, Eliab. And Eliab starts judging David's motives. Notice 1 Samuel 17, 28. 
When Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him and asked, why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. How? You came down here only to watch the battle. And the enemy is trying to trigger David to get him to fight the wrong battle. If he stands and argues with his brother, he'll never see the real enemy. And sometimes we are fighting against what we're, against what we're supposed to be fighting for. David is supposed to fight for his family, and yet his family is trying to make him fight with them. Wait a minute. You're not my enemy. You're not the one I'm supposed to be fighting. I got bigger things in store. Some of us are simply defeated because we are distracted. Our mind gets off of where we're supposed to be facing to get distracted by menial tasks around us that are less than the battle that God called us to. Think about how this could have ended. David spends the next two hours defending himself to Eliab. Some of us are so caught up with what others think of us. We will spend hours down a rabbit hole online after posting a picture or a thought, and then we'll read every comment, analyze every like. And before you know it, that one person who always good for a negative thought, they just put a burr in your saddle. And before you know it, the good that you were trying to convey in your post is wrecked because you now feel the need to defend yourself online, and you end up in an argument with people who you don't even hardly know. One time not long ago, my wife made a post, and she, as she is known to do, and if you're connected to her, you know she makes posts. And in her comedic way, she shared a funny story that had occurred at a store that she was shopping in, and it made me laugh. It was funny. But eventually, I had to tell her to take it down. Why, may you ask? Because some dingbat decided to make what was meant to be a funny story an extremely spiritual opportunity to espouse themselves. And because they can't exist in both worlds, they post, post, posted a super halo posting comment which then just caused another backslidden keyboard warrior of the faith to start making his own comments. And before you know it, my wife's phone is blowing up because these two dingbats who don't even know each other, who live on opposite sides of the country and have never met, are now having a knockdown, drag out, poorly translated biblical fallacy debate over a comedic comment that had nothing to do with either one of them. Any of y'all ever been down that rabbit hole? Don't even lie, you know you have. You might have been following the one I'm talking about. And Davina was getting madder and madder because they had hijacked her Facebook post to propel their idiocy into the World Wide Web. And I thought if these dingbats would invest a fraction of the energy into blessing people that they put into defending themselves, they'd be the second coming of Mother Teresa and the Apostle Paul. And today I would say to some of us in this room that we could change the world if we'd stop trying to defend ourselves. I need somebody to hear this today because some of us trip over an offense and we never defeat the real opponent that God called us to fight against. It could have ended a whole lot different. And I bet Sister Bonnie Lewis would have never taught me this Bible study in Sunday school, Pastor, if David had argued with his brother instead of going to face Goliath. Here's the thing that's practical about this. Some of us are fighting Eliab today, and because we're fighting Eliab, Goliath, that sounds a lot like Eliab, continues to go unchallenged in our life. How do you know if you're spending your time fighting Eliab? If you're standing around blaming everybody else for your plight in life instead of taking responsibility, you're blaming Eliab. If you find yourself distracted by a bunch of little things and the big problems in your life get ignored, you're fighting with Eliab. 
David did this move that I want you to learn, and I want to learn it in my own life. How to, what to do when you realize you're fighting with the wrong enemy. When I realize I'm fighting something outside, when I really need to be dealing with the inside stuff that's in me. And we do that a lot. We'll, we, we got inside issues. That's where most of our problems lie. But we'll get all fired up about fighting something on the outside and turn our attention away from the very thing that is within us that is rotting us to the core. For somebody, this is a word today. A pastor said last week, this is a rhema word for somebody. The Bible says that David did something very strategic, and this is like the turning point of the story. It said in verse 30 that when Eliab was going back and forth with David, David hits him with a real quick insult just to let him know I'm not a punk. And then after he said what he had to say, watch what David did. He turned and asked somebody else. 17, 29, and 30. David says, now what have I done? Can I even speak? He then turned away to somebody else. See, most of us, we'd been there. You ain't going to talk to me like that. I had them, took care of my sheep. I made sure they were good. I did all the right things. I came down here because Dad asked me to, and that's the only reason I came down here, and I wouldn't even be here to give you a cheese sandwich if I wasn't doing what Dad told me to do. Right? That's how we do. We're ready to defend everything we did. David said, what, can I even talk? Eliab, I'm done with you. I'm going to ask somebody else because you are, I'm just turning my back on you. Watch, when David turns away from Eliab, he positions himself to face Goliath. See, he could have stood and argued, but he misses the battle. And that's what we've got to learn to do. We've got to learn to turn away from the stuff that's tripping us up and go after the giant full bore. So whoever it is for you, whatever it is for you that's got you distracted, you'll never even get to Goliath. You'll never even get to the giant that's causing you the problems if you're constantly distracted by the little battles that are all along the way. Eliab wasn't the giant. Eliab wasn't the enemy. Eliab was his brother that he was supposed to fight for, not with. So now we watch David, two different alternate endings. If he argues with Eliab or he gets offended and he misses Goliath, if he doesn't obey his father in the ordinary things, he misses Goliath. It could have ended a whole lot different. Somebody in this room, your story is being written, and sometimes you think you know how it ends. But what if it's not over yet? What if it's not over yet? What if you've wasted a lot of time, but what if God is about to redeem the years that the locusts have eaten away on your life? What if it's not over yet? I'm just posing a question. What if it's not over what if your best days are not behind you? What if the devil really is a liar? What if everything that you've been through can serve a greater purpose? What if the things that you have faced along this way, God has set you up to take those things and use them to bless somebody else? What if it's not over? Well, this story's still not over. David has overcome the obstacle of the ordinary and the offense but now he has to go through Saul, the one that could have been celebrating him, the one that should have been supporting him, realistically the one that should have gone out there and took the head off the giant already. David has to go see Saul. And when he does, he is forced to face the third obstacle of only. Do you know only? Have you ever faced only? Only is the spirit of lack and limitation. Do you know only? Notice what Saul said to David. David says to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go fight him. Remember, David's like that little chihuahua. Don't let nobody be worried about this giant. I'm coming to get him. And Saul replies, you are not able to go against the Philistine and fight him. You are only a young man. And he has been a warrior from his youth. 
David's like, don't let anybody get depressed on account of him. I'll go fight him. And Saul says, you're not able. You're only a young man. David could have been like, you're right. I'm only a young man. I'm going home. Well, I put myself on the line. I'm not capable. I am not able. I am only. It could have ended a whole lot different. But instead, David pulls out his resume for Saul, and he's like, I'm pretty good at beating stuff that's bigger than me. I beat a lion. One time I beat a bear. Put me in, coach. I'm ready. But Saul says, you're only a boy. I wonder what your only is this morning. Remember, Saul wasn't the enemy. Saul was supposed to be a friend. You ever had somebody tell you you are only? You ever had something inside of you tell you you are only? You're only. I had it this week. I was thinking, you're only the second string. Pastor only asked you because it was Christmas week and he wanted to spend more time with his family. You are the only getting this chance because it's convenient. I'm not going to lie. It was a trick of the enemy. And I listened to it for about three seconds. But it was a trick of the enemy on my self-confidence because he knows just the right insecurity to poke at me and to make me feel less, to make me feel limited, to discourage me from realizing that I am standing in the gap for somebody today who feels like I am only this. And that God wanted me to tell you your story is not over. And you are not the only today. You are not limited today. You are not less today. You are not the head and uh, you are the head and not the tail. You are the above and only and not beneath. Jeremiah, in the first chapter of his prophecy, he says to God, I can't go, I'm only a boy. And God replies, say not, I am only a boy. I am only. But David doesn't let Saul define him as only because he recognizes not what he is, but whose he is. David said, no, 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 I have never faced this giant before, but I brought the same God into this valley that I brought into the last valley when I faced my giant there, my bear, my lion. They were bigger than me too, and I was able to do it. I'm bringing the same God with me now. And the reason I'm preaching this today is because you're standing in front of something right now. You've never seen this giant before. But David said, here's the common pattern I've noticed. I dropped the lion and I dropped the bear. It only stands to reason that if the lion didn't stand a chance and if the bear doesn't stand a chance because they oppose my father's business, if this giant opposes the purpose of God, he has one thing that's going to happen. I know how this story ends. He's coming down. And today I predict an upset victory over everything in your life that is bigger than you, that opposes the purpose of God within you. Come on. He's the God of the beginning and the end of your story. I know how this story ends because I know who wrote it. Hebrews says he's the author and the finisher of my faith. He is the author and the perfecter of my faith. He doesn't just start the story. He finishes it and he perfects it. He makes it right. If you are in God's hand, if he is writing your story, if you are submitted to him, if he is the author, it's not over till we win. It's not over till you see victory. It's not over till the light overcomes the darkness. It's not over. It could have been a whole lot different story, and I want to suggest that maybe it can still, can still be. Because I know in church we talk a lot about new beginnings, don't we? Come and find Jesus and have a new beginning. What about new endings? See, if you were to look at my notes today, you'd find that my favorite form of punctuation is not a period. It's not an exclamation point. It's not a comma. It's not a colon. The punctuation I use the most in these notes is an ellipses. Some of you are like, what the world? Some of you don't even know what that is. It's the three periods that you see at the end of a statement sometimes, like right there and right there. 
And what it means is that there's more that is coming. There's an additional thought that ties to this thought, dot, 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 to be continued. There's more that may not be being said, but there's more to this story. And John Maxwell, I've heard him make this statement several times. He says, you can't go back and begin again, but starting now, you can create a whole new ending. See, we can't start this story over. Your story is your story. The beautiful thing about Jesus is that when we come to him, the Bible says if any man is in Christ, he's a new creation, old things pass away. But your story is your story. It can't, it doesn't change. It doesn't, suddenly your past is not completely erased. Spiritually, your sin is gone, but you still are who you are. And so I can't go back and be born again as Nicodemus challenged. I can't enter my mother's womb a second time and be born a second time. But what I can do is starting today, I can allow God to begin to create a whole new ending to this story. Because you see, right now, my story may not look the way I think it ought to. It may not look like it's going to end very well. But I know if I put it in the hands of God, I know how this story ends. You are not only... You are not limited or less or weak or impoverished or broke or busted or disgusted. You are his child. You are a child of the king. You have a favor with God. You are his kid. You are not who others say you are. You're not even who you think you are, but you are who he says you are. And you can walk out of this place with confidence and say, I know how my story ends. Your story as of right now is about to be continued. I know the giant seems big. I know. I know that you may feel like things are bad right now but I know how the story ends. In life, you're always scheming and dreaming, trying to figure out exactly how it's going to work, what God's going to do to bring this dream to pass. It might not be a straight line. It might not be perfect. It might not look like somebody else's situation. Most of the time, we get in the worst trouble. We compare ourselves to everybody else's situation, trying to fight like everybody else, else fights. David had the same problem. They wanted him to go out and fight in Saul's armor. David said, oh, I've got one thing that's proven. It's this little slingshot, and that's what I'm going into battle with. We get in trouble. We try to put on somebody else's armor. I can't preach like Pastor Thompson, so I don't even try to be him because it's not my responsibility to be him. That's his job. It's my job to be be the best me I can be. And so I can't fight anybody else's battle. I got to fight the one God put on me to fight. Yours, your story might be messier than somebody else's. Your story might look laughable. Maybe you're only high school educated or maybe worse. Good. God's going to get so much more glory out of you because you didn't have a college degree. Now, when the people look at you, they're going to have to know it had to be God that you got that job. I know you don't have the education. I know you're not smart enough. Maybe you're not good enough. You're not pretty enough. You didn't pay enough. You didn't pray enough. You didn't go all the right things. You didn't do the right things. You didn't go to it and get the right places. That's all right. God is writing this story. And when he gets glory, it's so much better. It could have been a whole lot different, but the grace of God stepped in just in the nick of time. Spoiler alert, Goliath goes down every time. I've read that story hundreds of times. And every time Goliath falls, plot twist, he goes down. But guess what? That's not how the story ends. I'm sorry. I know it looks great on a flannel graph in Sister Bonnie's Sunday school class, but David's awfully cute with a slingshot and a pouch of stones, but that's not how the grown-up version reads. Most of us never read 1 Samuel 17, 51, but the story doesn't end with David hitting Goliath with a rock and Goliath dying. The rock, it took him down. It killed him. But David had something else he had to do. 
The Bible says that after he knocked him down, because some of us are content just to stun our enemy. You know what I'm saying? Just come to church, feel good for 90 minutes, get a little word, go home, forget about it, go right back to the same stuff, go right back to the same cycle, go right back to the same deadlock, go right back to the same pretending, go right back to the same stuff. But David made up his mind that things had to change. If Israel was going to be free, he couldn't just score a hit on the enemy. He had to finish him. Everybody in your best mortal combat voice say, finish him. The kids love that. I know the adults are like, what the world is he talking about? David said, I didn't come just down here to bring cheese and bread. When this story started, David could have been derailed by feelings of only if he had only thought of himself as a delivery boy. But he wasn't a delivery boy. Goliath was the delivery boy because he brought to the battle something that David needed. David didn't know that he'd need anything, but it's right in verse 50. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistines and killed him. It says he came to the battle without a sword in his hand. Here's another spoiler alert for all of you Bible scholars. He left with one. Who was carrying it? His enemy was. For some of you today, Goliath has got your sword. He's got your sword, and if you want to see the victory, you're going to have to defeat what's standing in front of you, but you got to do it not on your own accord, but with what something else is going to be provided. He's going to knock your enemy down. You're going to take him down, but you're going to have to pull out the sword, and you're going to have to take his head off at some point, and you might not have what you need to do it, but in the moment of your battle, God will provide exactly what you need, and it might come out of your enemy's hand. Tell the person next to you, I know how this story ends. See, you think your story might end in defeat today, but I'm here to tell you that God is going to get glory out of this victory, out of every situation in your life. I know how it ends. If the musicians would come. 1 Samuel 17, 51, David ran and he stood over him. He took hold of the Philistine's sword and he drew it from its sheath. After he killed him, he cut off his head with the sword. When the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, they turned and they ran. He killed him. After he was already dead, he cook his head off. Why did he do it? I don't know. Maybe he wanted a trophy. Maybe he wanted to run around and show everybody what he'd done. Remember, he's just 17. I can't always understand what teenagers do. But he took that head off and he took the sword with him. If you'd all stand with me today. David started with a sling, but he ended with a sword. Not his own sword, but one that formed, one that was formed to be used against him. Instead, it worked for him. We sang this song, says, I know that no weapon formed against me shall prosper. All those that come up against me are going to fall. The Bible says that the weapon won't be, doesn't say it won't be formed. It just says that it won't work. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. Every tongue which rises against you in judgment, you shall condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. This is our final service of 2019. We're about to embark on a new year. And I'm not one to tie some big spiritual landmark to moving into a new year. It is a good time to reflect. It's a good time to set goals, to pursue new things. Don't get me wrong, but for some of us, Wednesday at 12.01, We will turn our calendars to 2020, but the enemies that we were facing at 1159 of 2019, they will be staring us in the face at one minute past 2020.
They're not just going to go away because you changed the calendar. And if you let it, you can be discouraged. You can allow the obstacles of ordinary to stop you. Well, this is my life. This is my new normal. I'm just destined to face this enemy forever. You can allow the obstacle of offense to keep you defeated. Well, if they hadn't done that, if they hadn't said that, if my parents had loved me more, if they treated me differently, if I hadn't been passed over for that job, on and on, excuses and offenses that keep us from victory. Or you can allow the obstacle of only. I'm only one person. I can only do so much. I've only got this education. I'm only a single mom. I'm only, I'm only. And I want you to say today, if you're a single mom, you are not, you are far from only. You are shaping the world by pouring yourself into children, making a difference that nobody else can make. Don't ever sell yourself short today. You are not only. You are more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. If only I'd done this. That's even worse. Sometimes we get past the I'm only and we start with the if only. We, get, we settle into not only worrying about uh, who we are, but then what we've done. And we live our lives with insecurity and regret, and it robs us of victorious living. Or you can overcome every one of them and say, I don't know how it's going to happen. I don't know when it's going to happen. But I know how this story comes to an end. I end in victory. I end in overcoming power. I end by living an overcoming life. Walking into the new year, I'm walking onto this battlefield, not in my own might, but in the name of the God who saved me, the God who kept me, the God who bought me with his own blood, who walks with me, who never leaves me, he never forsakes me. His name is Jesus, and there is power in the mighty name of Jesus. Somebody before you leave here today need to tell Goliath, you come against me with addiction, you come against me with anxiety, you come against me with depression, but I come against you in the name of the God of Israel. I will see your hand come off my sword later today. This victory belongs to me. We've been doing it for the last few weeks, and I think it's kind of cool. I think it's important that we do this, and this is why. There are people in this place this morning that they would go to the altar, but they're scared to go alone. And so I want to invite everybody in this church. If you consider Life Church your church, let's make this altar your home for a few moments. Let's gather down here together. I want us to do something together today as we close out this service. And I'd like us, if you'd come, just come join me. I'm down here. It's not a hard place. I, I made the transfer from there to here. You can make it. It's not quite even as far as I am. Just come on down and join me down here today. And if, if you've never come to Jesus, if you've never given the Lord your life, if you've never given him your heart, this is a moment that you can do that. Close out the year right. Let's give Jesus our best. Or maybe today you just know that the battle you got to face when you walk out of here is bigger than what you can handle on your own. If that's you today, you know what? Join the club. We're all in this together. Let's go onto the battlefield and wage war together. They're going to sing this song one more time. We sing it today already but we're going to sing it again and while you're here today I want you to think about the words of this song verse 2 says there's power in the mighty name of Jesus there's power in the mighty name of Jesus the Bible says when we call on his name things begin to happen and when I call on the name of Jesus every enemy has to flee at his word the entrance of his word light has to come in and darkness has to flee 
The very thought of his name causes demons to begin to tremble. We serve a mighty, mighty God today. And if you're on the battlefield, all you got to cry out is Jesus and he shows up. No matter what you're going through today, he is there. He is ever able. He is with you. He is for you. He is not against you. And so as they began to sing this song today, I want us to have a moment where we surrender ourselves to God together and say, Lord, you got the writing of this story. It's not my story to write anymore. I'm surrendering it to you together. Let's pray over this house as they sing. I've been big about declarations. They, they, this year, that's been something that God has put in my spirit that we need to declare things over our life, declare things over our family, declare things over our kids. Uh, there's something that happens when we speak things into the atmosphere and we, we notify the devil that we are, we are more than what he's ever dreamed of that could come against him, that we are who God says we are. And there's something powerful about declaring things. And so I want us together all over this house, before I turn this over to Pastor Thompson, I want us to join together. We're going to make some declarative statements today. All over this house, no matter who you are, no matter if you're far from God or if you are close to God, if you are coming to God now for the first time in your life, today we're going to declare some things together, okay? So all over this house together, I want us to start. Heads bowed, eyes closed, everybody. We're going to talk together to God. You ready? Father, I come to you today. You are my God. I declare and decree that my future is better than my yesterday. My tomorrow will be a success. My future is in your hands. You hold the pen. You are writing my story. You won't give me anything I can't handle. You will help me to overcome every obstacle that comes in my path. I give my life to you completely and wholly. Every part of me, the part that I've hidden, the part that I didn't let anybody else have, I give it to you. I want you to rule in my life. I want you to reign over me. 
I want you to be my God. And I declare from this day forward, I am living my life for you. I am serving you with everything I've got. My past is redeemed. My present makes sense. My future is secure. I am your child. And today is a brand new day in you. I'm going to walk in faith. I'm going to walk in favor. I'm going to trust you every step of the way. And my Let's rejoice over it right now all over this house. Father, we thank you. We bless you. We honor you. We praise your name.